Welcome to the Dr. Dad's Podcast, where a naturopath and chiropractor come together each week to share lifestyle medicine, health advice, and inspiring interviews with some of the top experts in health and wellness, bringing you the latest in nutrition, exercise, ancient healing, toxins and detox, your microbiome, mindset, hormones, brain, and much more. Stay tuned. We're going to teach you how to experience growth daily. Hey, everybody. We've got the Dr. Dad's coming at you today. This is Dr. Wardy, Dr. Nick. What's going on, brother? Good, buddy. How you doing? I'm doing great, man. I'm excited for today. We got Dr. Don Clum on today, and we're going to get into some really great topics with him. Uh, we're going to talk a little bit about what getting healthy actually looks like, the role of insulin and chronic disease. Uh, you know, people seem to be really confused these days about optimal diet. We're going to get into that a little bit. And I really want to hear a little bit about Don's story and some of the stuff that he's currently doing with uh, insulin sensitivity. So real quick before we get into it, I want to give a little bit of a bio about Don. Uh, Dr. Don Klum is um, a healthcare provider, consultant, and a public speaker. Um, his experience in these fields has basically taken him to positions like working in uh, the U.S., Costa Rica, and Spain. Uh, once he graduated from chiropractic school, he moved to Costa Rica, worked as a team chiropractor with the Costa Rican Olympic Committee and athletes, and was an official chiropractor to two professional soccer teams. Uh, while in Costa Rica, he was influential in bringing holistic care to Central America, and a sought-after speaker and assisted in the formation of the first board responsible for enacting legislation, recognizing chiropractic services as a licensed and legal handling profession in Costa Rica. That's huge. Uh, Dr. Clement also spent two years in Spain providing chiropractic care and consulting services. After returning to the U.S., uh, along with his wife, he began a fully integrated holistic and wellness center and collaborated in transitioning a traditional pain management medical practice into a holistic wellness center where he served as the director of the on-site lab. He currently works for Aduro Inc., a national corporate wellness and population health company serving 140 employers and over 1 million employees. He has successfully designed and delivered the first alternative diabetes prevention program that meets or exceeds the national statistics of the National Diabetes Prevention Program from the NIH and CDC. Uh, Right now, currently, he's pursuing a PhD in health psychology at North Central University with an emphasis on the relationship of chronic stress, food, and general addiction cycle, and the onset of irritable male syndrome. <laughs> Solid, buddy. I can't wait to talk about that one. Well, I mean, <laughs> I, I'm not going to ever read my bio again because <laughs> I just put mine to shame. So, Don, hey, brother, thank you for coming on with us today. This is, this is so awesome. I'm really, really pumped to get into a lot of these topics with you today. I haven't got a lot of time to to speak with you at a lot of the conferences we see you at, but I know a lot of your stuff. I follow you on social media. I love reading your stuff. And uh, yeah, Nick, you got yeah, that? Same thing with uh, with David. Uh, actually, I have had the opportunity to talk to Don on multiple occasions. And not only is uh, this guy fascinating to listen to because his, his the capacity for information in this man's mind is uh, near next to none. And so uh, it's, it's always a pleasure, and I learn a ton just from, you know, your lectures and, uh, and getting a chance to speak with you. So, yeah, we're super excited to have, uh, have you on here, Don. So why don't you just kind of dive in and share some of your story and, and what got you so um, interested in looking into the role of insulin in chronic illness? Absolutely. Thank you, gentlemen. I appreciate you having me here. This is a fantastic opportunity. It's an honor to be here, especially with the theme and topics and, and knowing the two of you and, and the level at which you guys play in healthcare with your communities and with your people. So I thank you very much for having me. 
Well, the reason, the way I got into this whole emphasis is kind of, is through a it's common to a lot of people. It's do my own story. I was in early on. I was interested in sports. I played baseball all since I was four years old, all the way through high school. I was going to play on the, the, the rookie team for the Colorado Rockies before I got injured. And so that ended my sports career right there. That's when I went into nutrition first with my bachelor's in nutrition and then chiropractic after and so forth. We got the opportunity to work in Costa Rica for eight years and had multiple clinics and things like that. We work with the, the medical school down there with the government programs that are there, the indigenous people, but most of all, the, the Olympic committees for the national games, Central American games, Caribbean games, you name it. We were the Pan American games. And so that, that really kind of solidified our, our time with, with sports and sports performance we were the peak performance operators for that system and so that was that was a great experience fantastic but while I was there I was living a very healthy life I'm a second generation chiropractor grew up in a very healthy uh, lifestyle and, and environment never been vaccinated never had a prescription drug in my life not even a cavity and so did pretty well and then suddenly as I'm in Costa Rica doing my thing on two separate occasions I was diagnosed with skin cancer Wow. So it kind of hit wow. me, hit me like a ton of bricks. Not only to hear the diagnosis, I don't know what it was. I can't say it was because I never got it biopsied. I didn't go the medical route. I, they were found incidentally. You know, one was by the medical doctor on my staff at a pool party on my back, and one when I, when I got food poisoning, uh, the dermatologist identified another one that was on, on my on my neck. Some moles had gotten out of control. Hmm. So I get this diagnosis, and it and it really sends me spinning. And and basically, I want to know why. You know, talk about thinking you're doing everything right. We even took it up a notch because when you get married and you have kids, you even go further than your upbringing. I think most people do because you want better for them. So we had a real tight household of health, and yet this was happening. And so that kind of spun me on my heels. I didn't know what to do, and so I just did what I knew. I, I buckled down on, on the basics. I got adjusted every day. My wife's a chiropractor, a fantastic chiropractor. I started cleaning everything up that I was doing. I eventually went vegetarian. Then I went fruitarian. Then I went into straight fasting. And over time, about six months, those, those lesions got kind of ugly. And then eventually they came to the surface and they fell off. The one on my back fell off completely. The one on my neck uh, fell off completely as well, but the mole is still there. And so it was quite a, a shakeup, to, to say the least. In the beginning, I didn't even tell my wife about these things. I, I just didn't know what to think about it. It was almost like an embarrassment that the, the natural doctor has got some kind of health issue going on so it's like you know i wanted to start a group called sick doctors anonymous because we just don't <laughs> we, even though we know we're just like everyone else and it happens to us it's hard it's hard to face especially when you're helping other people and you have your own stuff come up and so that was that was the start of it and i really got into it and i didn't know anything about it i was doing it more innately and and uh, than anything and over the years i kept looking into it but it really took a different level when because we went to spain after that for a couple years and then we, when we came back to the states it had been 10 years since we live here, we have small kids now, three small kids, and we go back and suddenly we're looking around and a lot has changed. We're going to the kids' events and these kids are, there's peanut allergy tables, there's this sickness yeah. tables, there's all this kind of stuff going on. There's all the, tons of kids were overweight. They, they, a lot of them wouldn't do recess and they had, it seemed like medical conditions all over. We'd go to PTA meetings and things and then we'd see why their parents are suffering too there's a lot of chronic illness there's a lot of a lot of chronic pain there's a lot of obesity and overweight and so you start and it just shocked us and so we're like all right we're coming back here we want to raise our family how do we avoid this for us forget about everybody else how, how do i make sure this 
I get better and I don't let my kids go down that track. And so that's when the, I really stepped it up in the nutrition. I went started going to more seminars, reading more books and started doing more, converted our chiropractic offices into full wellness offices and started doing these programs. And we had a lot of success. The one-on-one was, was great in the office. And one of my best friends from school, he came to visit and he saw the success. He had started a, a screening company for chiropractic that eventually became 15 years later a population health company and he said hey do you, can you think you can translate this success one-on-one to big groups and populations i said i have no idea he said do you want to try and i said sure and that's what brought us where we are now to seattle I worked with him for three years developed weight loss program sleep stress resi- resi- resilience we did fast fitness mood and food diabetes prevention program you you name it all i read i redesigned a whole lot of them and, and helped with the, the, the point of view and, and, the, and the concepts in there. And now they've gone out to hundreds of thousands of people and, and it's fantastic. And now I'm back full circle doing a well, a wellness programs with people one-on-one uh, directly. So, you know, out of the population health world, didn't go right back into practice. Now just virtual practice uh, all over the country and world working with people one-on-one to help them not go through what I went through or if they're in it, how to get out of it in a way that, that actually works and is not just at face value. Mm-hmm. Wow, that's look at look how well he summarizes everything. That's amazing. Uh, one of the things that that you you touched on, which I think people might have heard and went, did he just say that? I mean, you literally saw things fall off your body. I mean, what? Tell us a little bit more about that because you, I know you did. I mean, this guy has done some really long fasts. People, we talk about fasting all the time as as well. And I know that was part of your journey. But if you can kind of go into that, because I think you know, even when I heard that the first time, I'm like, wow. I mean, the body has incredible intelligence. And ability to push out what it doesn't need and what's not serving it. But yeah, please dive in a little more there. Yeah, you touched on, thank you. You touched on a really, really powerful point. That the problems I ran into, those lesions are on the outside and I could see them. Mm-hmm. Most people, that's a blessing. Yeah. Most people don't have that benefit because it happens on the inside and they can't see it or feel it until it's really, really bad. And so I, I got a chance to look at that. That made me go, whoa. If that's happening on the outside, what's happening on the inside? That skin lesion, cancer as they called it, is not a problem with my skin, right? Mm-hmm. It's a problem with my body. And so if, it's, if that's going wrong there, there's got to be tons of other places that aren't right. And then, and then also through the course of my, my time, I, moving around, we moved around a lot as we told you and practiced in a few different states. Uh, that's very stressful. In those moments, I would start to develop things like uh, metabolic syndrome myself. And I, I designed metabolic syndrome programs and diabetes prevention programs. And so it's just a reality check. And, and you only knew it because I was monitoring things. I could have easily have ignored it and let it go and so on. But that, that experience with that visual problem really made me become aware and uh, very, very interested in all other testing to see what's going on that I can't see on the outside. Does that make sense? Yeah. Well, that's huge, Don. But, and you know, uh, this brings to I really want to talk, talk about something here because this is huge how many people go to like let's say a dermatologist they have you know these skin lesions they're like oh you have skin cancer they go get them cut off mm-hmm. and then they think oh I'm good they yeah. literally walk out of the office thinking oh I'm fine there's nothing going on because the doctor doesn't have that conversation with like hey if this is showing up in your skin you need to make some changes here there's there's things that need to be done and I, I you know I talk to these people almost every month. Of they, they just think they're fine. They don't see an issue there. 
Yeah, absolutely. That happens all the time. We see it with weight too. Okay, I, I lost X amount of pounds. I'm, I'm fine. Or even worse in the diabetes uh, and pre-diabetes metabolic syndrome world, they see that their blood sugar is up or the cholesterol numbers are off. They do something, who knows what, and now they're normal and they think I'm okay. Mm-hmm. And that's just not true because those are symptoms of it. And we're seeing phenomenons where you can, you can take a diabetic, type 2 diabetic's blood sugar, bring it down to normal, and think everything's okay. But in reality, that insulin resistance problem, that metabolic problem is still going, and their outcomes will be the same. So they're basically type 2 diabetic with normal blood sugar now. And they have this mm-hmm. false sense of security. So we have to be very cautious of that because my, my focus, my lens is insulin resistance, as you guys know. And I think it's the number one health problem seen in any medical doctor, natural doctor, nutritionist, sports center, any health office around the world, whether the practitioner knows it or not. And so if we can identify it early enough and make an impact and make it mean something to the individual to the point where they'll make some minor changes in the beginning, maybe major changes down the line, we can actually change, turn that around. Because when someone gets type 2 diabetes, they're diagnosed at 40. The average man loses 12 years of their life because of it on average. Wow. The average woman loses 14 years of their life. That's huge. That's 12 to 16% of their life that they're get, that's not going to be there. And the last 10 years are going to be miserable and painful and suffering. I mean, that's the difference between seeing a grandkid being born mm-hmm. or someone graduating from a college or a high school or a wedding. A, a lot. A lot. And so, yeah. Well, and that's huge, Don. I mean, you talk about a pillar of your health. The insulin's huge, and people don't get that. I have that conversation all the time. So I think this is a good segue. You know, let's talk about what getting healthy actually looks like and maintaining your health. Because, I mean, you, you just spoke to it right there. You said people think we're in the clear, things look better, I'm good. I can just go back to what I was doing before. So what does that picture look like? The, the reality is health is an integrated concept. It's, it's an ebb and flow. It's, a, it's an overall condition of the body. It's not one thing. It's not a number on a test. It's not a weight on a scale. It's not even how you feel or look at times, right? even though that can be representative. It is a process. It is integrative. I mean, in our programs, we have to take into account everything from exercise, physical activity and exercise. They're different. You know, what kind of exercise, when? We do what's called an exercise progression. Diet, not just what you eat, which is important, but when you eat, meal timing and different concepts like that. We talk about the fasting as well. We talk about stress resilience. This is not your typical stress management. Stress management doesn't work. It's not, it's not healthy. I, it, we want to build our resilience to stress. We want to create a positive outcome from any stress that we can. So that's called stress resilience. When we do a big emphasis on sleep, sleep is a tremendous problem. Insomnia from kids in high school all the way through life is off the charts, and it's a major problem, and it affects everyone. You're not sleeping, you're not healing. So we make sure we approach that. And then we do home testing and monitoring, sometimes supplementation or specialty foods as well. And then the modalities, you know, you want to work on uh, relaxation, you want to get adjusted, everyone needs to be getting adjusted for the neuroendocrine tone, which we can talk about soon, because of how it magnifies whatever efforts you're doing, it doesn't matter what you're doing on any of that spectrum. If you're trying to improve your health, you're doing X, Y, or Z, chiropractic will magnify the positive results. So I, I don't care, no matter what your age, your condition, or what have you, because of the impact 
on the neuroendocrine tone, the nervous system, and the parasympathetics in particular, your healing side of your nervous system, it just magnifies everything. So it's, it's a must be. Even the people that uh, have internationally where there's a handful of chiropractors, I tell them, go find them. You got to go find them because it's, it's, an, it's a distinct element that, that can make all the difference. So in reality, you, you got to be looking at all of that. And here's the other reality. If you're not actively improving your health and working on this, you will passively lose it. That's the environment that we live in. I'm sorry if that's a harsh, but if you're not, people say, how do I avoid diabetes? You act as if you have it. Mm-hmm. How do I avoid this? You act as if you have it now. You have to act as if you are working against a problem or working to prevent a problem right now. Because when signs, especially medical signs, show up, it's too late. 80% of the damage done in type 2 diabetes happens before the blood sugar is out of a normal range. 80%. So it, it, it's, a, it's a reality that we all have to be proactively working on this. Otherwise, it, will, it, it just sneaks up on people. Well, it's interesting. I mean, just going back to you know, your diagnosis even and uh, what, what those others noticed on you. And it started with a choice, right? You were doing all these things. You said you you're raised your second generation Cairo and you're raised in an environment that didn't use medications and everything. You, you were set up for success from the beginning. And when, you know, SHIT hit the fan, you, you had some actionable pieces to put into, into play. Anyone else at any course of their life, when they get faced with a decision like this, like you said, the disease has already been, you know, a work in progress for, you know, maybe decades before it actually shows up on the, on the labs. But this is where a choice is made. And if people don't have these tools, these practices to, to focus on what tr- truly getting healthy is all about, they're, they're on a path towards just destruction and disease management which like as you said with stress management it's it doesn't work and they've actually removed themselves from their their own health plan and what that means to to get healthy and it's it is a downward spiral really because as we all teach and like you said getting adjustments that's part of initiating this innate healing response that we all have access to but we just don't we actually don't really know it globally we don't know that we have access to that yeah, well, and there's a lot of different uh, elements out there that, that can help people. They need to be, be getting, checking in with their, whoever their, their team is. And it's about having a cohesive team. It's about having, you know, getting the regular test, don't guess, right? Test, mm-hmm. don't guess. And so it, it's a communication, it's a relationship. And it, and, it, and it has to be that way because if not, things just go, go downhill and it's not the mentality. You know, but when things really show up, and they're at a medical red flag, that's a hard thing. That's a hard point then to turn around. Not that it can't, but it's a whole different story, especially because if you go to the traditional route, right, then we're terrible at that. Mm -hmm. Chronic conditions, chronic disease is the number one killer right now. That's never happened in the past, you know, and it's because we try to take this emergency model that we're really good at, you know, antibiotics and painkillers. That's what exploded uh, medicine, right? Really good at the acute stuff and apply that to a chronic issue. That could be fatal. Just like if you take an acute problem and try to apply a chronic approach, you know, someone, a natural practitioner, I don't want someone gets in a car accident, don't come to me, (laughs) right? You know, it's, it's the wrong model for the wrong thing. And when that happens, it just clashes. Yeah. Oh, and it's so upside down right now. You know, you're speaking to it. People 
don't get it. They don't understand. Like you're saying, you need a, a team of people constantly helping you take care of your vehicle as you're making your way through this journey. And like you're saying, if you're not actively doing this on a daily basis, you're going to get sick. And these chronic diseases are just, they're, they're right there for you moving down the road. So let's, let's get into that, Don. You know, your, your specialty and some of the stuff you do, you're working with insulin. So let's talk about what are these big chronic degenerative diseases and these things that we need to look out for and pay attention to that people really aren't taking very serious if they don't have this active role in their health? And what, what role is insulin playing in these things? Yeah, great question. Um, the, the issue is, well, it's like a cardiometabolic spectrum. It's, it's a, it, it's, I base it down to insulin. So it's insulin resistance spectrum, right? At the far end, you got prediabetes, diet type 2 diabetes, metabolic syndrome, which goes into cardi cardiac issues, heart disease, heart attacks, so forth, stroke. Then it goes into uh, even dementia, uh, Alzheimer's as type 3 diabetes, and cancers as a metabolic issue. It's all about that. But way on this side is where I think we all need to be focusing and working for you. People come in here because it's in their face. We got it. We, we, there's a lot we can do to help. But if we could identify people down here and look at dysfunction before there's destruction of the system going on, then we have a chance to take them off that path. We'd mentioned type 2 diabetes, losing years off your life. We're, we're developing a, problem, a program called the Million Year Project. What we want to do is get a bunch, as many natural practitioners or, or practitioners on board with this concept as we can so that we can start to catch people, take them off that path, and give those years back to them and literally save a million years of human life every single year. And it's totally feasible. I like to say billion, but we'll start with we'll start with a million at this point because they're losing it unnecessarily. And so really you start to see all these different changes. And part of the earlier changes down here are things like hormonal problems. Just like the irritable male syndrome, changes in mood, changes in uh, tension and stress responses. You have weight gain. Weight gain is a hormonal issue. It's not caloric. We have to change our narrative for that. When we do, then we start to see that weight gain is an insulin problem. Hormonal problems always have an insulin influence because insulin is the ultimate hormonal disruptor. Insulin is a bully on the playground. When insulin shows up, all the other hormones get crazy. They, they run away or they get out of balance because it's a very strong, very primal, very dominant reaction. But unfortunately, it's one that we can control with our lifestyle and activate every single day, all day long, all night long if we're not careful. And so really, we're looking at the spectrum of events going through here, but they all follow the same neuroendocrine imbalance. And, and you can label that a growth issue or an insulin issue at, at core. So when it comes to insulin, I mean, just for some people who, who are maybe not savvy to it, they're not type two diabetic, they don't really know what it means. Can you just kind of talk a little bit about the, how people get here as well, what it does? Um, like, is it just that the people are eating too much sugar, you know, maybe even go into like how it's how type two or pre diabetes or insulin resistance is showing up. Sure. Insulin is our, our energy storage hormone. This, the narrative I'm about to tell you is a little bit different than you might have heard outside of here or in a traditional model because I don't think that model is all that accurate anymore. We know too much about it. We made up that model in 1923 before we even knew exactly what we had found, right? When insulin was discovered. Uh, they called it secretin back then, right? They didn't even know. They didn't even know it was a hormone, so on. Anyway, so uh, it's, it's an energy storage hormone. Insulin stores 
sugar primarily in our body, in our liver as a form of glycogen or a whole bunch of glucose sugar molecules stuck together, as well in our muscles, it stores it in our muscles for our muscles to use when needed as an exercise or physical exertion. And then whatever doesn't fit in our liver, so to speak, and doesn't fit in our muscles goes and gets stored in our fat. That's, that's really what insulin does. Okay. And to do that, it needs to activate and deactivate that other pathways to do that. That is vitally important. That is, that is mission one when needed. Okay. That's why it can throw off so many other things. Uh, but what the, the story that people hear out there is that insulin is what grabs glucose, brings it in the cell. So the cell can have sugar as energy. If not, the, the cell starves and you see these problems. This is not, that's not true. Cells don't need insulin to make to to use and burn energy they needed to store that sugar big difference and so what happens is when we eat we stimulate insulin carbohydrates stimulate insulin protein stimulates insulin not the same amount but a little bit less than half the amount fat doesn't uh, store it doesn't uh uh, initiate insulin stress can other hormones can and things like that but what's going on is that very healthy very primal mechanism of storing that energy for where we need it when we need it gets overactivated. it gets slammed so we have really high peaks of insulin exposure as well as an overall arc of being bathed in it day in and day out that's mm-hmm. what causes the problem insulin's not bad but the way we're abusing it is causing bad things Right? It's causing this process to happen. It basically puts us in a growth mode, mainly because as an adult, you need to grow mainly fat so that you can store the energy as, it, as the sugar as it keeps going. And it just throws everything off. And so insulin becomes centric in that negative pathway. And when it's on and turned on and stuck on, all of our healing pathways and mechanisms get turned off. You know, all of our mechanisms that make us lean and give us energy and, and, and anti-inflammatory get turned off because this is priority one. The problem is that lever is just stuck there and, and over time it's just wrecking our system. When you talk about this massive spectrum, Don, I mean, this is affecting so many things in the body downstream where you'll get dysfunction. And it's amazing in this day and age how people are just piling on all these other things from you know, getting hormone injections and they do all these other things and they're not doing foundational things just to help fix insulin sensitivity issues or control, get optimal blood sugar, like you're saying. And because they don't want to eat right, right? They want to take all these shortcuts all the time versus understanding that this is a foundational thing that it, if you know how to control this in your body and, and you know the processes that you take from a lifestyle standpoint of, of getting that sensitivity and having that, that optimal blood sugar, you get all the benefits, like you're saying, like for guys of staying lean and having the energy and, you know, all these other things. But can you speak a little bit to that, like on the daily for people that many people are probably dealing with, not necessarily disease, but just these, these common dysfunctions and symptoms that people see early on that they're not associating with this problem. Yeah, we can look at that. Thank you. We can look at that from the hormonal side. Think of it this way. Uh, I got, you know, anyone who's got kids as they go through teenage years in particular, but anytime they go through growth spurts, right? And so especially the boys when they're teenagers, I got a couple and when that happens, man, they eat like crazy. Right? They eat everything in the house. They will not stop. They'll practically eat each other's fingers off if, if you're not careful. So, but, but let's look at that. Are these boys growing because they're eating so much? Hmm. No. They're eating yeah. so much because they're growing. And otherwise, the one who ate the most would be the tallest. 
mm-hmm. it just doesn't work that way, right? So right. they're stuck in a growth mode, and that's the appropriate mode as you mature. When you're growing a baby as a mama or you're growing as a person until maturity, you want to be stuck in that growth mode. Now, but that mode, when it's in an adult, we start to see waking. And when waking kicks in, you, it's, it's not, people think it's because people are lazy or they have no willpower or they're not focused or, or whatever you want to generalize. It's wrong. They don't have willpower. They lose energy or laziness and, and focus because they are growing. It's not the other way around. Those things, those characteristics come along with that problem, not necessarily what causes that problem because it's hormonal. You don't have a choice. So things like weird energy flux, chronic fatigue type issues, mental clarity, brain fog type issues, you know, senior moments when you're in your 30s or in your 40s when they're not senior moments, uh, problems, hunger, hunger, acute hunger is aberrant. That's not a normal state to get hunger, especially several times throughout the day and so forth. Gaining weight when you haven't changed your diet or changing constitution in your body, problems sleeping, increased stress response. All of this could be connected to this fundamental hormonal dysfunction that's going on. And therefore, when someone is expressing it, it's not really their fault, not at least not their cognitive fault. It's, it's going on in the body. It's like you know, when that hormone's present, you're going to feel a certain way. It's like saying, okay, take 10 shots of tequila, but don't get drunk. Use your willpower. <laughs> no, it's biological, right? You know, it's, it's just not going to happen. So, you know, what we work on first, and, and I know you guys have the same focus, is you work on the, shifting the physiology. If you improve that hormonal status, they start to feel better. Then as they move forward, it gets easier and easier and easier, and things start to change. But some of the early warning signs are all the gray area type of things that are going on, the very common issues that almost everyone that walks in our doors has. Mm-hmm. That's, I hope that people listen to that part again, because what you just shared there is pretty much every reason why someone would come in for any chronic concern and you, you spell it out. The only reason you're feeling hungry is because it's, it's a hormonal trigger. Like think about people suffering from food addiction or those people who are struggling with weight loss. You know, you spoke to what everybody absolutely needs to pay attention to. So go back. If you're listening, listen to that part again. It's so important what, uh, what Dr. Don is saying. And, and if we all, like globally, this is the million-person project that you're speaking to. If we all started to do this, my goodness, our, we'd be living longer. We'd have way less disease issues. There'd be way less likely that we'd be on you know, medication A, B, C, D, E because – we're, we're managing a symptom profile that has nothing to do with the core issue, which is going back to this insulin response. So man, like I lo- I've learned so much from you, just, you know, not just today, but I mean, what you're sharing here is foundational people. It's so important. I appreciate that. You can look at the example of type two diabetes because there are, are big government reports. There's a lot of studies and meta-analysis that, that analyze over 100, 200 articles on diabetes that basically show that diabetes is progressing faster and more severely than ever before in people younger despite having optimal medical management. Wow. We know you get the right drugs, you can make blood sugar number anything you want, but mm-hmm. it doesn't change the disease process. Mm-hmm. So now that's a perfect example of, of treating a symptom, getting it under control, managing it, but the problem keeps going and people are still dying early. They're going blind. They're getting amputations. They're having the heart attacks. And, all, and, all, and then when they get older, they're getting the dementia. They're getting the Alzheimer's, which by the way, in health polls, the number one fear of people over 60 years old is dementia, is Alzheimer's. It's not even death. It's not even mm-hmm. cancer, which is a big one. It's, it's losing 
who you are. It's losing your memories. That's a scary, scary concept. And it's all part of the same spectrum. And so, you know, we got to just identify this stuff earlier. And, And some of the things that people don't, that they can do at home just to see if this is not right. If they start gaining weight and they don't know why, especially in the midsection, you know, we want, we'd say that, uh, measuring around the waist is a big indicator. If you if your belly button number around the waist with a tailor for women is over 35 inches, there's a problem. Or if it's shifted three inches in a year, two or three inches in a year, mm-hmm. think problem. Men, it's over 40. Now you want to be that doesn't mean 40 is okay, but you don't. If it starts, if you see it creeping up, that's a that's a big deal. If you uh, if you notice that you get very tired after meals, insulin issue. Not just like the great burrito one day that you go off and have or, or you celebrate or whatever but on a regular basis every time you eat you just you're fading out there's there's an issue or if you get nauseous after each meal just even a normal healthy meal you just kind of don't feel right your stomach feels right that's the stomach pancreas liver that's all they're talking to you right there those are little signs you can start to look at and there's other tests and blood tests and ways you can do we can go over it if you want um, at, at different points but there's just ways to identify that um, and, and here's another one. If you've gone on more than three serious diets before, you've, that, I'm sorry, you've damaged that mechanism and it's not going to work right. And that's got to get reset. I get people, I'm, I know you do too, that have been on not three, maybe 10 in the last two years. You know, never mind the, 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 the 20 years prior. Because if you go on a low calorie, low fat, uh, multiple meal a day snack meal a day concept of any kind that goes daily low calorie you're you're create you're messing up that mechanism we started that a long time ago with the best of intentions but it's proven to be wrong and so if you've done that more than three times in the last 10 years then then you get pretty much guarantee you got insulin resistance going on oh, that's awesome i mean this is a great segue into the next piece but before we go there I, I got to get you to talk about the irritable male syndrome just <laughs> for our listeners. I mean, cause you're talking about the oppositional hormones here, which, which I think is so crucial. So please talk about irritable male syndrome. Yeah. When I do when I talk, when I go through this in the course, we're building up a case for insulin resistance. When we get to sex hormones, there's two main examples that I use. One is PCOS, endometriosis, uh, PMS, peri and post and menopause for women. The other one is testosterone for men. And within that is the irritable male syndrome, IMS, not PMS, Mm -hmm. IMS, right? Irritable male syndrome. And what happens is you get this hormonal dysregulation going on and you start to see changes uh, in, in the man. And they're so common. They're so regular that people think it's part of the deal, like the grumpy old man syndrome. At some point, everyone becomes that. No, there's books on my shelf over here like, uh, you know, maybe he's just a jerk. And, uh, <laughs> you know, Mr. Mean. These are women writing about men who are, who are turning or changing, right? And, they're, and I'm reading this, this experience that they get irritable. They get nasty. They, they close down. They go in their cave. Uh, they, they blame everybody else. That's the other thing. And they spiral. They spiral like uh, so. They come home and argument starts up, and so, and then you know, get mad, and I said, you know, you did this, you did this, and over here, and then the house and the carpet. I don't like carpet. I want it there. The dog. I didn't want the dog. Da, da, da. They, they spiral, and everything gets bad, and just and women start to see their their husband kind of disappear. They lose part of their identity in this, and it's a hormonal issue. It's a hormonal issue, and it creates, and it's also a big sign of early to moderate depression in men, 
men and women express depression very differently. And, and depression is typically not a male problem. They'll deny it. Doctors are not really looking for it until it gets bad, until they crash, right? But the reality is all these little changes are hormonal, pushing uh, a male form of depression. Men have nine testosterone cycles. Men are so hormonally up and down that we look at women's 28-day cycle and think that's crazy when in reality, that's rock solid compared to ours. <laughs> rock solid. We have three or four shifts every hour. We have shifts that happen during the day. We have more in the morning, less at night. We have shifts that happen monthly, and that varies from person to person. We have shifts that happen seasonally. We have, uh, we have menopause later in life. We have uh, puberty earlier in life. When we eat 300 calories or more, testosterone starts to go down. If we have a spark of sexual interest or competition, t testosterone changes right there. I mean, the list goes on and on. It's, you know, there's an old adage. I heard a speaker in Australia say, you know, a woman say, hey, women, if you don't like your husband's answer to a question, wait 20 minutes and ask again. Because <laughs> we'll be different, right? We'll be different. And so, and then, but that's the irritable male syndrome. And the biggest problem with that is that men can't see it really hard they don't this denial it's an outwardly looking thing and it's part of that withdrawal that they don't see it they blame everyone else i think it's a big problem part of the the, the midlife crisis where men go and get the sports car and the mm -hmm. and the trophy wife right you know it's because they can't handle it and when that, at that point so far off the only instinct they have left is to run and so it's a part of a bigger picture but that's the irritable male syndrome in a nutshell that's that's man you just blew me away right there man because so many guys deal with that i mean it's i like deal with it I was so, so, oh so I was, do i man i'm 37 and i'm already starting to deal with stuff like that but i mean you speak to something that i think as males right we we're so oblivious to you know like you're saying it's always all oh, females have their their pmsing or they're always hormonal and it's always for some reason there's this, this focus there for females but like you're saying, it's such it's more complex with males, and we deal with a lot of the same things, but just in a very different way with our hormones. Well, if you look at the flight or flight response, our stress response, they're distinctly different. Both in both men and women, we both want to take action, but then the list, everything below, changes. Men get hyper focused, where women broaden their view. Right? Mm -hmm. Men are are, are action oriented. They got to do something. They got to physically response, fight, flight, defend. Where women, they don't. They 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 plan. They commune. They get to the community. They they take a whole different route for the thing. But the and in today's age, that outward reaction for men is not okay. It's not socially acceptable. You can't work, You know, can't act on that impulse. Yell, scream, or do whatever because a it might not be required in today's society but it doesn't mean that primal urge isn't still there and therefore they have to suppress it and they suppress it and they suppress it and they suppress it and, and we you know and it that becomes a whole problem in, in and of itself if you want to know there's a book the irritable male syndrome <laughs> awesome. this is this is the the, the godfather of it all and in there there's a there's question there's questionnaires and i was reading it and i, I did the questionnaire myself and then at the end it said hey if you dare ask your wife about these questions about you, <laughs> I was like, okay. I said, I said, Hey wife, let me ask you some, I said, let me ask you some questions. And I start going through it and she goes like this. She's looking at me and she stops. I'm going, what's wrong? She goes, are you setting me up? I'm going, no, I, I want to know. And it turns out it's even, it was even worse than I thought. And then, it's, then you can go a step further and say, ask her if you, if she thinks this is affecting your kids. That's when it got very real for me. 
So yeah. it went from a research project to a, a reality check. And that's the other thing. We all go through all of this stuff. We all live in this very stressful, very toxic, pretty artificial world. And so we're all going to go through this at different levels. The point is identifying it early, always being pro proactive. And when something does turn up, you go for it, go after it, get some help, get a plan, not only for you, but you want to stop because whatever's going on with you, you're passing on to your household, your family, kids by default. They're watching, learning everything and it trickles downhill. Everything's getting worse as it goes generationally. So it's, I think as a parent, it's my obligation when I identify this, figure out what's going on, be proactive and see how I can break that process from being passed on to my kids, right? Because they're going to pick up bad stuff anyway from us, uh, but there's some things we can influence and change and hopefully take them off that path. Because after all, we only get what, 18 years where we can actually, I was going to say control them, but good luck with that. Maybe <laughs> 13 years on that. So that's, that's speak, that speaks massively, man. You're absolutely right. I mean, it's one thing when the wife points these things out, but like when you start to notice it's affecting you as a father to your children and the ripple effect that it has in your environment and what you want for them, like in their upbringing and the influence that you have, you, that has to speak to every individual that's listening to this right now. Of, yes, you need to take an active role. You need to start making changes if you're noticing these things, like Don's saying. Mm -hmm. So let's let's take a segue, man. I mean, that was that was amazing, but I really want to get some more stuff out of you, man, because right. this is awesome. So there's this massive confusion, I think, for everybody these days of what is the right diet? What am I supposed to do? What's good? Is it keto, paleo, carnivore, or, or what is it, the frugivore? Uh, I mean, there. There's so many things now, and the people are so their heads are spinning, man. So, can you speak a little bit to to where someone would get started? And I know, and I know, we're going to talk about diet variation, but where do people get started with something like that? I mean, what's your approach? Well, the first thing is we need to look at people need to define why they're eating the way they're eating, or why they're going after one diet or another. Is it for weight loss? Is it to f get better, heal, be healthy? Uh, get stronger. They're all different reasons because someone will say, Oh, I tried this. It didn't work. I'm like, what does that mean? Right? So first we got to decide what are we doing this for? And then when you look at it, if, if you can define what works means to you, then you take a step back and look at the physiology of why works. It works. You'll start to see the reason the vegan, super low fat, no saturated fat, all plant-based diet has a same positive impact on the bottom uh, on the body as uh, the keto super high fat almost no carb low protein does they seem completely opposite they seem there is there are no two other diets that are as opposing fundamentally as these two but they both reverse diabetes lose weight improve health the question then becomes why so you step it back you realize it's because of the impact that those two ends and extremes are having on insulin and other factors, the, the physiology, the hormonal impact, the, the actual change in the physiology with those at the two ends of extreme are doing the same thing or nearly the same thing for different people. So it makes sense at that point why they both work. Okay. It's everything in the middle that really throws us off. You know, I always say sticks and stones may break my bones, but moderation will kill you. Right. So watch out because people will dabble in and out and they'll do this. And so it's just the way they approach it. And so any diet can be done 
in a, in a bad way. Like Atkins came out years ago, Dr. Atkins from New York. He's passed. I studied his stuff years ago when we were in New York. And, you know, we do it one way, great positive response. You, you can overdo it or do it a different way, and you can have a negative response. So there's so much more to it than prescribing a diet. It's looking at the overall plan, looking at the individual, what they want, what works, what do they want to work for them and what that looks like, and then it has to fit their lifestyle. These are lifestyle programs, right? And the life in the lifestyle is yours, not mine, not anyone else's. And so you got to line those things up, and then you got to give yourself enough time uh, to go. And it's got to make sense to you. If it doesn't make sense innately, if it's, something's off, then take a step back and look. But really, if you can look at these diets, we can bring up every diet. I have over 150 diet, fad, fad pop diet books up here. We can look at any of them. And when they claim that, that they work, we can look at the physiology and find out why. Then we can tweak it depending on what the person wants and so on. Yeah, that's amazing. Yeah, go ahead, David. No, no, Nick, go ahead, brother. I was just going to say that's amazing because so many people want to prove that their diet, the one that they did, is the thing that works, and then they, you know, they want to, you know, paintbrush that across the entire population. And what you said right there is is the fundamental piece that everybody needs to pay attention to. It's like, what are the outcomes you want to create? Why does you know why is it that you want to work with this one? Or it's a test essentially. And then do you feel ethically aligned with, with what is it you're doing? And I mean, if we can answer all those things uniquely for us and then compare that to our blood work as a before and after, now we're working on something that's unique to us. And then, and then not being so like married to one idea, but just being open to, uh, to, to changing our time. And yeah. Uh, so please like, continue on this course because I mean, you, Everybody in every camp has a reason why their diet is the best for a particular condition. So because we did speak so much about insulin, maybe you can speak a little bit more on sort of, uh, yeah, the, your approach and then uh, all of this from a hormonal point of view. Yeah, there's, that diets often cover what we eat. And people get, everyone's got their own thing. People think whatever worked for them is the best thing or work yeah. or whatever they created maybe or something. It, we got to get past that. What worked for me might not work for ever, someone else, mainly because our definition of work is different. Mm -hmm. And so we, we have to look at that, but even that, but again, that's what to eat paleo, keto, vegetarian, so on and so forth. Just as important and more important we found is, is about when you eat, when you eat, you can eat yeah. the standard American garbage diet and you change when you eat enough, you can still move in the right direction health wise. You can't get everywhere you can get, but you can still reverse a lot of stuff and improve your life, lifestyle, lose weight, and so on. It's been proven. I got books right here from uh, the Every Other Day Diet to Alternate Day Eating to One Meal a Day. They're all different approaches about when. Some of them cite studies that say, okay, if you eat this way, it's better, but some don't care. Mm -hmm. Eat whatever you want, you know, but you follow the when, as in meal spacing, time between meals. You know, when do I eat my first meal, intermittent fasting, and so on, it has a higher impact metabolically in the beginning than changing what. Mm. Down the line, when you've made some progress and you're feeling good and you got some momentum and it's easy and you're not hungry and you're not emotional eating like you thought you were and you don't have cravings, now you can do whatever you want. Now, you, now bring it on. I'll do whatever people want. People say, I'll do whatever. And I could tell them to eat cardboard three times a day and they'd be, okay, <laughs> can I use salt and pepper? Like, oh, I'm just joking, but no, you know, you know, it's it, you'll do whatever because those things aren't driving. The number one people drop out of health and, and weight thing uh, programs is because of hunger. If we can address that before they even really get starting started, then it's easy. 
Mm. It's easy. And so that, that's the concept. It's not only what, it's when and how to roll, roll that in. And fasting has gotten so popular now that um, that's another thing. I don't know what it means when people say I'm fasting. I'm like, all right, what you, tell me. What does that mean? Because it's, there's so many different kinds and you know, it, it does take a lot. That's why you work with professionals. That, that's all they do. You know, I don't want to work with a medical doctor who dabbles in some diet stuff or you know, doesn't, that's not their gig. I'll, you know, I want just like I don't want to go to a natural practitioner who, who also dabbles in some acute stuff. You know, I just mm-hmm. I, I, you want to for me and my family. I want to stay focused on that, and they can help you navigate it. They can help you, and then your feedback is just as important. Nobody likes to be told what to eat ever. You show someone how to eat, then they choose what, and then they then they they can follow what, whatever you want. That's that's how you get the longer, my opinion, the longer term application and success because the other thing is if you're not going to commit to something for at least six months then i'm not even the person to be talking to because it's just we want a fundamental change and to do that you got to train the body you got to you have to get metabolically fit just like saying someone who's uh unhealthy or out of shape we're going to sign you up for a marathon tomorrow yeah, good luck with that. Might as well just buy the T-shirt and go home, right? <laughs> but in six months, that's doable. Same thing. Yeah. We, re- we really want to do that. because, And then once you get in shape, it's easier to stay in shape. It's getting in shape that's hard. The same thing metabolically. Once you get there and you got the tools, then you can do it yourself. You can maintain it going forward. So can you segue you know, into the fitness aspect? that we're, you know, you know, we're talking about diet, but these people that are in the gym and they're gym rats and some people are putting more stress there than on their diet. Let's talk about insulin a little bit and how that rolls into the working out and the sensitivities there, that hormone. Yeah, that's a, that's a whole nother talk about a lot of lore out there. This gym lore is some of the thickest, deepest lore you're going to find. Um, so, cause uh, we, in our practices in New York, we had a wellness practice, we had a gym in there, and we had powerlifting teams. We had everything from kids starting at seven years old through high school and adults in uh, syndicated re- regional, national powerlifting meets, and we taught the classes. And so we got a lot of flack for that, especially with the kids. Oh, my gosh, kids are lifting weights. We, the, the news came down. Someone turned us into the health services and, uh, and all this, and we had to defend all that, and we did successfully. But uh, – in so doing, especially when those high school kids show up, I would hear all the lore. Holy crow, you know, what's going on? They would come in with $400 of pills, powders, potions, tubs of stuff to do that they thought were going to make them bigger, stronger, faster because that's what they want. And so we started to really get basic and fundamental. The little kids were great because to teach them nutrition, all we had to do is put a list on the board that said, these foods make you strong. These foods make you weak. Over. Because they'd go home and say, mom, I'm not eating that. That makes me weak. Dad, I need more of that because it makes me strong. They got it. But then once they get in a little older and all these different people talking, just like you said, every diet, every, every workout, they start to change. Insulin is a growth factor, right? mTOR for protein, which we don't have to go into now, is also a growth factor. They promote growth. Most people think they want growth. We don't want growth. Unless you're a kid going through maturity or mom growing a baby, those are the ideal times for being stuck in growth model. What we want is repair. Growth and repair don't go together. It's not growth and repair. In our body, physiologically, it's growth or repair. They're on a teeter-totter. You can't do both at the same time. It's one or the other. Insulin and so forth sticks us in growth when what we need is repair. Repair is what builds our muscles. 
Repair is what uh, builds our joints. Repair is what heals our body. Repair is what detoxifies our body, what makes us lean. So we want to promote repair. And when you look at it that way, there's a whole lot of different things that can make a change. This whole idea of the pre-workout, post-workout meals, and all that kind of stuff is just cranking growth and suppressing our repair, and we're going two steps forward, one step back. There's no need for a pre-workout. The ideal metabolic or hormonal uh, workout is to work out in the morning before you've eaten or in a fasted state and do a more intense type of training. And then wait as long as you can to have a normal meal. So, for example, if I work out at 6 a.m. and uh, you know my first meal is not till noon, that's fine. I don't have to rush and... Uh, grab a meal or a shake, a glorified milkshake with some protein in it and think it's going to build my muscles because it doesn't work that way. Because when you're working out like that, you're yeah. turning on all these triggers. You're, you're raising up human growth hormone. That really promotes repair. You break down some muscle and that's going to promote repair. You do all this kind of stuff. But if you were to inject insulin from that workout shake, from the powdered protein and the carbs that's in there, you just turned all that off. Mm. You just worked hard to turn it off. So it's going to be, it's going, it's going to have a minimal result on that. And then throughout the day, if you decide to treat yourself at night with an ice cream sundae because you worked out so hard today, you're, you're turning that off right before you go to bed, when reality is all of our healing, muscle growing, fat burning hormones come out to play when we're sleeping for the most part. And so there's a lot of different concepts that people mix up uh, in that process. So one is pre-workout. I, I, if anything, I drink a little electrolyte drink that I make myself, right? Uh, post-workout, you don't have to rush home and do a post-workout shake. You don't know your normal meal whenever that time comes, okay? The other one is to think that because you worked out, you burned extra calories in that day. You didn't. This is a whole long story. You have a set budget for that day. There's nothing you can really do to make get more out of it. Uh, it, just, it doesn't work. If you use a lot in a workout, the rest of your day slows down to give you the same budget. Just like think about your heart rate. You raise your heart when you're running heart rate so that throughout the rest of the day, your resting heart rate goes down. Yeah. That's a sign of health. Same thing. You burn a whole bunch of extra calories, not extra, sorry, my bad. A whole bunch of calories in a workout, the rest of the day just slows down, balances it out. You can't change it day by day. You can over time with different ways, but you can't day by day. So those are the biggest workout uh, concepts that I think are holding people back. Did that answer your question? Buddy, I could totally see our listeners right now and their heads are like spinning. They're like, what? They're like, what is this guy saying? Well, it's it's, so it's, it, I'm sorry. It is not to say that there's no benefit to exercise. There's huge benefit, metabolic benefit. We can go into that. It's just the benefit's not you get extra money in your budget today because or of calories because you worked out. Oh, no, I'm with you, man. I mean, the stress plus rest equals growth. And people are so stuck on the stress mode, right? That they're like, you're saying you can't ever get that recovery, that repair and the growth that you're looking for because your focus is on the wrong things. And we speak, you know, we educate people on this all the time, right? But it's just so like you're saying all these potions and lures and all this stuff you hear around the gym from these people spreading all this junk around of that's just not the reality. And if people just understood, you know, how your body actually works and how you actually need to approach these things, they would see these benefits. And, you know, I'm, I'm 37, man. And it took me till my early thirties to figure a lot of these things out. And I wish I had known some of this information when I was a teenager in my early twenties, because I was an athlete just like you. Right. And, and it was just so upside down the information we were being fed back then of what worked and what didn't. 
Oh yeah. I, I dread thinking about that. When I was young in high school, I was football player, wrestled uh, baseball and it, I was in the same lore as everyone else, bigger, stronger, faster. And then I went into competitive powerlifting and, and things like that. And the same, the same thing. And I wonder if looking a certain way or being certain strength, the way I thought I had to at this part of my life, shorten this end of my life. Cause that's what it's really shown. It's called the excess tissue hypothesis. But it, you know, by doing the wrong thing here, we're just basically looking a certain way or whatever we think. And we're just shorting the other end. We don't know we're doing it. And now I realize that and I go, well, I can't go back and change it. So I work on everything that I can like, right. And it's a perpetual thing. It does. It doesn't end right now. I'm, what am I about 25 pounds less than how much I weighed when I graduated high school, but I'm still every day working on it and I'm not still not where ideally I want to be. And that's okay because it's, it's a bigger picture. It's a health, it's lifestyle, it's integration. It's, it's so much more than just that number on the scale uh, in reality. Well, and can you touch on that a little bit more, Don? I, a lot of our listeners are parents, they have kids and you get this, this unrealistic idea of, Parents think, oh, well, my kids can have all this sugar and they can eat all that stuff because they're young. Their bodies can handle it. Can you speak to that real quick to like help yeah, I'm not, I'm not going to be very popular if you want me to talk about that. No, I, I would really like you to, to squash that, that whole mindset and that whole just completely upside down thought process for parents. Well, there's a... The concept that I talk about in my talks is called the excess tissue hypothesis. That later in life, it doesn't matter. Extra tissue, extra body tissue mass is, runs the body down. That's why uh, someone like a professional football player, wrestler, powerlifter, bodybuilder, super fit, most are like very muscular, has the same life expectation, expectation as someone who's morbidly obese who's never trained in their life. Wow. Both ends have excess tissue that they're working through. This is fit. It looks good. We would judge them differently. But at the end of the day, it seems tissue is tissue. One of the ways we know that is there's some studies done on the centenarians in, in, mm. in Japan. And they found out the difference between a man living 100 years and 75 years in the same environment, they, they, they balanced everything out with simply three inches in height. They're just, there's more tissue there, right? There's more tissue. That's why you don't see a lot of 90-year-old seven-footers walking around and being interviewed everywhere. People who live to be over 100, they're little, right? They're little and they have a certain frame and so on, which is not good for me at 6'4", you know, but, uh, you know, I, I, I have to work at it constantly. So here's the deal. We also know that the more metabolically you push any organism early in life, you shorten the other end of life and they have more problems. So like you, you can feed, they have studies on mice and, and, other, and other things where you feed them and you get them to grow real big, real strong, real early, then it, they don't live as long, right? Mm -hmm. I knew it in Costa Rica because we knew that uh, if you, people would take iguanas and raise them and if they fed them garbage dog food a lot real fast, they got really big and really pretty and they could sell them, but they didn't live but a couple years, you know, hmm. so same, same kind of concept. And so if we are pumping our kids metabolically full of sugar, creating that sugar burn, they're locking them in because they're maturing. You, you, that'll change their metabolism and their hormonal profile as they go through puberty. And once that's changed, it's hard to go back. 
it probably is only a certain amount you can. So you are setting them up literally for the rest of their life by doing that. And by doing that and having weight issues early on or having metabolic issues early on is clearly showing in higher rates of all chronic disease and issues and now including anxieties, including attention issues, including uh, depression, depression number one, uh, disability worldwide and so it's all linked and so and that's also why all these diseases are hitting people younger and younger faster and faster because we're setting them up earlier and earlier from day one starting with bad nutrition in the womb leading to no breastfeeding and, and formula to typical American standards for kids foods from cereals to snacks to junk and feeding them 18 times a day and so on and all, and all the way up to soda pop then and then fast food as they get older and they can control themselves. It's, it's, it's not good and it does impact them. So parents, there is a responsibility there, not just for you, but, but for them. You're, you want them to have the best in life. You got to start from, day, from pre-day one. Absolutely. Yeah. Are your kids That's an amazing thriving? message. Yeah. Yeah. Are they thriving or surviving? Are you setting them up for that success or that failure? And, and I, you know, we talk to parents all the time about this, right, Don? But it's huge. It's huge. You have this role in your children's lives, and you guys need to to know the weight here of what he's speaking to because it's it's massive. We have to hold a higher standard, in my opinion, because just not killing your kids as they grow up doesn't mean you're a good parent doesn't mean you're doing your job. Your job is not just to make sure they get through these years and get out, right? We, we got to set up some fundamentals. So much of the learning, so much of the personality, so much of the habits, they're formed before they're even, what, five, seven years old? Mm-hmm. And it moves on and it, and, it, and it trickles down. So, I mean, we really got to put some thought into this and not, not go to any default or just assume that because they're not sick or they're, because they're alive means that we're doing the best we should be doing as a parent. Absolutely. Yeah. That's an amazing message, I think, even to, uh, to leave this podcast on because it really, you know, sets up that place of responsibility. Obviously, all of us here are parents and we know we've got some big shoes to fill when we understand this information. We have to start to apply it. And, and I know parents are going to be saying, well, this is just what my kid likes to eat. And, and really, we got to take the responsibility back and go, well, we make, we make the choices till they're about 18. My kids are seven and four. They're already pushing me around, but uh, we definitely mm-hmm. have created a space for them to enjoy the foods that, that we also like to eat. And, and we know that we're setting them up for success, well, but I know that, it's hard. It's hard as a parent. That's a big thing. And parents, I'm going to lose my, my favorability rating here, but we, <laughs> they don't, we don't work hard. We don't work hard enough. There's too many excuses. Yeah. The two biggest excuses as parents is one, I'm doing the best that I can. Mm-hmm. that's a real simple answer because who's really going to argue? Who's going to push back on that? Okay, you're doing that. Are you really? Have you read a book on this? No. Have you gone to a seminar on this? No. Are you, are you getting professional guidance with this? No. Uh, have you done any research on this at all? No. That's the best you got? I'm surprised you can hold down a job. Mm-hmm. You know, that, if that's the best effort you can give in, the, in this area, it, it's really no effort to be. And the other one is I just want what's best for my kids. They say that. Who doesn't? And that kind of ends the conversation. Okay, well, if you really do, then you would do these other things and you'd be looking into this. And we got to push past those and, and, and not make it about us or whatever. Make it about them and prioritize because, you know, like you said, oh, my kids only eat macaroni and cheese and hot dogs. I'm like, wow. You know, how do they get to the store and what money do they use to buy that stuff? <laughs> they already know how to cook it at seven. 
come on, we're, we're putting that. And I know it's hard to change them once they've started, but it has to be done. No. And if you don't have that junk in your house, they can't eat it. Mm -hmm. right? If you don't make it for them, they can't eat it. Oh, but then they won't eat. Maybe not for a while. And that's probably a good thing. But eventually they get hungry enough. They'll eat whatever you put on that plate. Mm -hmm. And then you, we, re, we rebuild from there. And so I, I know how hard it can be, and, uh, but it has to be done. Otherwise, I don't even want to look at what, what's coming. One in three kids now are expected to get type 2 diabetes. One in three kids born after the year 2000. Wow. One in three. You know, and I have three kids. Which one's it going to be? I don't know. One in two adults right now are pre-diabetic or have type 2 diabetes. One in two. Me and my wife. Who is it going to be? One in two adults, you know, and, and if you add in metabolic syndrome, we're looking at almost 70% of, of the nation. Over 70% are, are overweight or obese. I mean, it's all, these are all hormonal tie-ins, mm -hmm. right? And they come down to our habits. They come down to our lifestyle. They come down to our education, which is our responsibility for us and for those kids. And that's where building your team, creating a synergistic plan, following the plan, and course correcting when necessary becomes job one. So this is perfect, Don. I want you to give, we do a thing at the end of each episode, it's called Home Play, and we give an assignment to our listeners, and I, I think right what we're speaking about is the perfect thing here. So could you give parents the Home Play assignment of where they could get started with their kids to, to initiate this change, and what question do they need to ask themselves? I mean, you kind of laid it out there, but I mean, just simplify it in a couple, you know, just real easy, straightforward. Okay, this is where you start, and you have to start moving that needle. You got to start pushing the needle. Yeah. Well, there's there's a lot of different ways. It, it it's hard, especially with kids. But the first thing you do is just do an inventory of your household food, you know, and look for processed foods, look for sugars and things like that. And that'll that'll be where you pull them out. Don't just look at them. Pull them out and put them on a table and like look at them and watch them and get the kids to help you. And watch them pile up and get rid of any. Start with anything that's got the extra sugars in there or the dyes and the, and the artificial stuff. That's one way you can do. The other way is stop snacking so much. Okay? If you're concerned about your kids, get them a breakfast. Make sure they get lunch. Make sure they get dinner. Maybe one other snack in there. In the beginning, it's going to be hard because they're used to having breakfast, morning snack, lunch, morning snack, after school snack, dinner, before dinner snack. But that's, that's a problem. You're setting them up for met metabolic disaster. Three meals, three square meals a day. My grandma used to say, don't eat that because it will ruin your dinner, yeah. right? It, it's an age-old thing. Mm -hmm. don't, you don't always have to cut back on how much you're eating, just how often. And, and you, kids can do that too. I had to write, I had to go down to my kid's school and write out the thing to tell them, no, you, they don't have to have a snack at your preset snack times. We don't snack, okay? Because mm -hmm. I wasn't sending my kid with snack. So the teacher had like this default drawer and would give him something anyway. I'm like, I had to go down there and explain and he's doing fine. And I did it with all my kids and they, they grew up fine. My younger son's tall, my middle son's taller than me. So it didn't stunt anything, didn't stop anything. And uh, you know, so that's what I would do. I would clean it out and, and see it as a visual, get rid of a bunch of that stuff. Step one, no Step two would be don't snack so much. Step three would be zero tolerance. Get rid of sodas and juices. That's awesome. That, those are really actually three, you know, uh, there actually are three really easy things to do, but it does take a little bit of persistence and patience and communication. I love how you said get the kids involved because that's, uh, that's a huge part of it. When they can see what you're doing and they're involved, it's going to go so much better. My 60-year-old so, my, my son, just on that note, we, we sat down and went online and we looked up what natural flavors could be. 
because we didn't oh, know what, what are natural flavors. And he saw it could be an excretion or a, a concentration from a beaver's anal <laughs> gland. Beaver I heard gland. about that. Yeah, <laughs> and he's like, Dad, what does that mean? He's like, there could be beaver butt in this? And I said, <laughs> yeah, that was it. He now reads everything, and if this says natural flavors, he will not touch it. Yeah. So they got, if they, they'll come in their own if you just work it through them. They want to know it too. Yeah. They can make their own decisions. Yeah, that's amazing. You, you guys who are, everyone who's listening, like this is just a fraction of what, what Dr. Don speaks about. So we want, we want you guys who are listening to be able to follow Don's messages every, like it seems like daily, but maybe it's every other day. He's got uh, paragraphs of amazing information that you can apply into your health, into your life on a daily basis. And it's packed with information. It does get in some juicy, sciencey details from here and here, here to there. But you you answer every question. You're always giving feedback, and you're making the conversation very real. So people follow Dr. Don Klum. You can find him at Don Klum on Facebook. Um, any other places that they they can search for you? No, we're we're working on re- revamping the the website and stuff. But as far as the getting a hold of me or or more of this information just go to don clum d-o-n-c-l-u-m on facebook there's both a professional and a personal you can follow the personal and follow and like the professional because they have different reaches and i rotate things through them and uh just go from there yeah it's amazing information like i said i'm constantly learning from you brother and and i know david is as well and 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 this guy lectures at all of all the conferences we get a chance to go to among many others so he's teaching doctors this stuff too it's not like it's this isn't written in the code of naturopathic principles at our, our training. And I know it's not a car chiropractic, but you're doing a lot of things right now to change that dialogue. So it's uh, it, it, we're, we're being blessed by, by everything that you've dove into. So thank you again for being on the show and sharing your wisdom. And uh, this is hey, an awesome one. You're very kind. And I hope everyone keeps following you and, and spreading your message because it's unique, it's fresh, and it's sincere. And that, that's a big deal. That's a big deal. And so, you know, my hat's off to both of you. Thank you very much. Yeah, appreciate Thank you, Don. Appreciate you, brother. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed today's podcast, please be sure to subscribe to the Dr. Dads and share with your family and friends. You can also follow and interact with Dr. Nick and Dr. David on Facebook and Instagram for a daily dose of inspiration and the latest in health and wellness. Be well.